the systemic risk that people don't realize existed, which is one custodian could have an issue and take down like dozens of companies. And that's what just happened. Hello, good morning, or good afternoon, wherever you are. I'm back from Argentina. I was out there making a film, part four of Follow the Money. Um, what an amazing country. I just had the most incredible time. Thank you to everyone who helped. Um, great food, great people, great wine. What a, an amazing country, especially with everything they're going through um, with the economic crisis there. So that film is hopefully going to be out in September. I'm really excited to get that finished and out to you all. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Iris Energy, the largest NASDAQ-listed Bitcoin miner using 100% renewable energy. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today on the show, I have River CEO, Alex Leishman. And in this one, we get into the shit show that is Prime Trust and why Alex built River from the bottom up so they control all the infrastructure to avoid situations just like this. So I hope you enjoy this one. It was great to catch up with Alex in Nashville. And yeah, you got any questions, you know what to do. You can hit me up on my email. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. All right, we'll start. We'll open the show with a Ripple. Summary judgment is obviously not the last word on the issue. If Ripple Labs accepts the limited win here, which they won't, they'll still turbo fucks because they've got multi-billions of dollars in institutional sales they're on the book for. Has anyone checked on SEC and Gary Gensler lately? It's Cameron Winklevoss. Right, breaking. US judge rules Ripple XRP is not a security. How did you figure that out? What Ripple did. So it's not a security. How's that bad for them? Well, apparently there's something about how they sold it that is like a security. I don't know. I haven't been on Twitter today really, so. Mm. But it's a... Uh, some nuance. Anyway, how you doing, Alex? Doing great. Nice to be in Nashville. Fine. Yeah, and finally we do this in person. Yeah, long overdue. Absolutely. I think uh, we've uh, we've hung out a few times. We've me and Danny have been to your office. Yep. Had some canopies. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's been a long time coming. Uh, we really want to talk to you about how we'll talk to you about Prime Trust and talk to you about how an exchange like yourselves can do things properly. Um, so when you're, when you're building an exchange, so people understand, because it's a really important issue in that I, th I assume most people still don't self-custody. You can tell them again and again self-custody and they won't. And so when they're considering an exchange to use, we were talking about it this morning, there's essentially a trust model or a rug model mm -hmm. in that you might be trusting the exchange, but really you're actually trusting somebody else in the background as well. And so there is this rug model or trust model that you, you have to be aware of. And so Prime Trust was a big issue recently because I think they were a pretty well-respected company publicly. What, rye smile. Well, I mean, depends who you are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. But I hadn't, I hadn't heard any whispers or any issues with regards to them myself. Mm -hmm. And so, my assumption was they were a trustworthy company. <laughs> Got trust in their name. Um, so, can can you give some background? So, people listening, I'm trying to explain what Prime Trust is slash maybe was as a business. Yeah. So this gets into some specifics on how things work in the United States. So what Prime Trust offered um, as, its, as its core business that was attractive to a lot, of, uh, a lot of firms trying to build consumer crypto apps was Prime Trust was effectively what um, sort of Evolve Bank is to fintechs um, for crypto companies. And so what, specifically what I mean is um, if you look at famous... Um, neobanks in the United States, Chime, um, Revolut, uh, N26, like these guys, they actually aren't banks themselves. They have this bank behind the scenes that's doing all the regulatory work and they're building a really sexy app on top of it, right? Um, so you're sort of decoupling concerns. You have, you have the, the sort of old school uh, 
company that's checked all the boxes. And then you have this new fast moving company that outsources sort of handling the money, handling the regula regulation and compliance to them. They sort of have an agreement and they're building a wrapper on top of that. Prime Trust was effectively that, but for, for crypto apps. And um, basically what that meant was if I wanted to build a, um, you know, a crypto wallet and brokerage, um, all I needed to know how to do was market and build like a web app, right? So um, but what, what Prime Trust would do is, um, well, the way it would work is, so for my, when, when I build my app, somebody signs up, I collect all of the KYC information that I've been told I need to collect, and I send it to Prime Trust. And there's an account on the back end at Prime Trust for my user. Um, and actually, I don't touch any money. Any financial transaction is actually, I'm just sort of proxying that through to, to Prime Trust. So Prime Trust is handling the debiting from their bank account, converting it to Bitcoin, custodying that Bitcoin, sending the Bitcoin out to, you know, when they initiate a withdrawal. None of those activities are actually happening on any system that, uh, you know, the, the wrapper controls. Um, they're just more of a distribution model. And they work out a deal with Prime Trust for, you know, how much to pay per user, you know, there's some sort of pricing structure that's sort of like an enterprise contract. And, um, and what Prime Trust brings to the table is basically they're a regulated financial institution. They've done all the regulatory work, all the licensing, et cetera. So this, this startup founder doesn't have to raise millions of extra dollars to hire all the lawyers and, and all, do all the compliance stuff and build all the custody stuff that they would otherwise have to. Um, they can just focus on building a, a nice app and focusing on their distribution model. So they're basically brand marketing. Effectively, yes. Um, and now you can sort of get a little sort of funny with it, um, but effectively that's what it is. Um, it's basically a crypto app as a service, slap your own you know, brand onto it. Um, and, now, and so you know, there's all sorts of companies that built on Prime Trust. Um, and, and by the way, like, you know, I don't blame people for doing this, right? Like there's a lot of apps where it just doesn't make economic sense to go get all this licensing. Like if you're building an app, for example, where, um, you know, holding Bitcoin, is, you're, you know, your users would only ever have like $20 of Bitcoin as a time, at a time. It's like a rewards thing, right? Um, but technically you're still doing money transmission. So you need someone to, to handle this for you. Like going and getting a bunch of licenses to build an app like that, like doesn't make any sense, right? So there are like, it does make sense sometimes to use these services. Um, but what we saw was a lot of companies sort of just kind of slapped their front end on Prime Trust and sort of called it a day. Um, and, uh, you know, full spectrum of companies. I mean, I, th I think even at one point Binance US was built on them. Oh, right. Um, okay. Yeah. So th they had some big names. Um, and, uh, and, but what people didn't, and, and, and the reason that sort of Prime Trust didn't get the attention that other firms got was because they're a B2B to C company. So they're not directly serving any end users. So the vast majority of people would never know, like, to look into that, right? Um, that they're not dealing with them at all. Uh, it's behind the scenes. And so it's kind of one of those things where like, if you're in the know, you know. That, and you agree to the terms without reading them like we do with everything. Exactly, yeah. You signed up for the app that built on Prime Trust. You said, oh yeah, you're Bitcoin. Prime. Okay, like whatever, sounds good. I, I don't even know how to reason about that, yeah, right? Let me um, buy some fucking Bitcoin. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, um, so then, so sort of the, so, so the, the consequence of this is the systemic risk that people don't realize existed, which is one custodian could have an issue and take down like dozens of companies. Uh, and that's what just happened. Some companies sort of escaped in time, um, which is still kind of TBD depending on how like sort of the bankruptcy estate thing plays out. Right. Um, but you know, that was a systemic risk. So what actually happened with prime trust? I mean, I know, but you're going to explain it better because at first when I heard about, I assumed it would just been some, you know, like most rugs slash failures, they tend to be some misuse of funds, some kind of rehypothecation or, you know, well, I mean, we've had Machinsky arrested today, essentially gambling with funds and doing funky things with people's funds. To me, it sounded like it started with a very poor administrative error. That is my understanding. Um, the, 
I, I think so. So the short answer is they screwed up key management, right? And I think I, I, my background is software engineering and cryptography and, and computer security. Like I deeply understand how easy it is to mess stuff up when it comes to securing cryptographic material. Like the math of like Bitcoin is not the same as the reality of actually like doing it all with a computer, which is just like a complex machine that sometimes messes up and has errors. Um, and then you have humans on top of that that have to make sure that it all keeps working properly. Um, uh, so the short answer is they messed up key management. The, the, the higher level sort of takeaway here is that so they were actually in a category of company. So they were a regulated trust company. So they had this sort of special status as a, as a, um, a trust company, which is chartered by a state that um, allows them to um, kind of serve like a higher grade of sort of financial and, and custody services for all sorts of things, dollars, Bitcoin, securities, all, all sorts of things. Um, but the thing is this whole sort of like legal regime um, wasn't built for Bitcoin. It wasn't built for a cryptocurrency. If you, if you think about it, right, there was never really like a type of property that a trust company had to, uh, was the fiduciary for or had to, had to um, sort of keep safe that could just kind of go poof, right? Like it was securities, which was like legal ownership in a company. Like it's just like the definition of the law, you have this right to this crash. It's not like it just disappears someday, right? Um, or it's this piece of property, right? In a trust for a family, it's a ranch. Like the ranch isn't going anywhere. It's right there. Like, you know, someone can't just steal it, right? Um, and so, you know, the, the, the legal structure was around sort of how they need to do accounting, how they need to do, um, you know, uh, make sure they're not commingling assets and using their their, the, the assets they're custodying. And so all the rules are basic, basically around making sure they're not fraudsters. Mm -hmm. And, um, and they, as far as I know, sort of from at least at the, at a very basic level, they didn't steal anyone's, any, anyone's assets. Um, what happened was from, from, it sounds like from the disclosures, they had a wallet. They had a, from my understanding, a hardware wallet that was, um, originally used to uh, custody customers' assets. And eventually there was some management change and some, some change in the company. And that wallet was discontinued to be used, was no longer used. But then something happened where someone started, some change was made to the system that re-enabled deposits to those addresses. It started distributing addresses to this old wallet to new customers to send assets to. And they didn't realize that that wallet, they no longer had access to that wallet. So assets were being sent to a black hole. So they, okay, it wouldn't have, when you say there was a hardware wallet, it wouldn't be a single hardware wallet managing customer funds. I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know these details, right? It's funny because um, uh, you do sometimes wonder what really, like my, I personally have two, two multi-sig solutions. I use Unchained. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I use Casa mm -hmm. for separate things. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty diligent about what I do. And I sometimes wonder if some of these companies are really just like maybe operating with one ledger that's locked in a safe somewhere. And it's like all their customer funds are on this one ledger. Well, some are. And that's what I was getting at with my description of sort of this legal regime, which is a lot of people assume that like this is like a fiat credential, right? Yeah. Being a trust company. Nowhere in the process of getting that trust charter did anyone have to prove they knew anything about cryptography? <laughs> yeah. Right? And, and so you can end up with a bunch of guys that know how to run a bank with a trust charter, and they're now responsible for custodying Bitcoin, but they don't know how to do that. Um, and so uh, it's sort of like not like being a trust company can, is probably good enough to make sure your stocks and your real estate is safe in this, these like entities or something, right? But that is not tell, that will not tell you whether or not your Bitcoin's gonna be safe because just like you said, there's nothing preventing them from just having a ledger in a closet. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's like sort of the, the nature of this. So these, these, this like fee, these like fiat sort of checklist things that protected traditional assets don't really apply well to Bitcoin. And so as far as we know at the moment, they, that hardware wallet they retired, they just burnt the keys for. 
I don't know exactly what happened. I mean, it, it could be that like um, they didn't keep a backup of the seed and someone burned through the pins on the device. Like who knows? There's so many failure modes with key management that it could be a number of things, right? I can list all sorts of ways people. I actually did a poll recently on Twitter um, where I asked, if you have ever lost Bitcoin, how did you lose it? Did you lose access to the keys or did you uh, have it stolen? And like 10 to one, it was lost access to the keys. Oh, wow. And this is like kind of where some of my opinions get a little heretical, but like you are way more likely to just lose access to your Bitcoin than to actually have your Bitcoin stolen. I mean, I've been through a couple of near misses. Yeah. I had a, a Trezor that had like three and a half Bitcoin on it at one point, and I didn't know where I'd written down the pin. Yeah. Uh, and I kind of knew what the pin was. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Yeah. Danny's just brought up the, uh, the poll. So, it was more like so it's 3% keys compromised, 18.2% lost access, the rest is see the results. Yeah. It's, that's mad. Uh, and, and I was going through the guesses. I kind of knew what number it was, but I didn't know the exact number. But the problem is every time you get it wrong, you have to wait a little bit longer. And, you know, it, it, you get to the point where you, know, you have to wait days. I've, I eventually got it. And so that was fine. And then there was another one recently whereby the seed that I'd stored wouldn't work to restore a device. And I was like, fucking panicking. I had a different seed stored elsewhere. It was just things like that. And so this put, I put my Jameson lot panel and it's like, every six months I need to run through and test everything. Now look, I'm, I'm not too worried now. I'm in multi-sig most solutions, but I've always had that separate wallet with like a small float on it. Yeah. Have you, you ever lost Bitcoin? No, not, I don't think so, touch wood. <laughs> Have you ever lost Bitcoin? No, I've never lost Bitcoin, but I've lost like random alts back in the day. Yeah. Like, you know, actually, but a lot of people lost Bitcoin early on because it didn't, wasn't worth anything. Yeah. So they didn't bother like remembering their password. It's like, oh, I have $10 of Bitcoin on here in 2011. There's, right? a guy, there's a guy in the UK that every ball run comes up because he threw a hard drive away. Do you know about this guy? Yes. How much is that hard drive worth now? I can't remember. He's always looking at skips for it. Yeah, he's always yeah. looking at the skips. And so he, he actually tried to do a deal with the council, the local council and said, we want to ex excavate the tip. And he had a venture capital fund willing to invest in the cost of doing it, and they rejected it. But I, I'm sure it's like 170 million. Yeah, it's a lot of money. But the next one is, it could be, you get to a point where it's over a billion. 8,000 I mean, Bitcoin. 8,000 Bitcoin. An interesting thought experiment that I've sort of kind of, I think is always funny is like if you've lost Bitcoin uh, by losing access to your keys, if you had just had your seed words in your Google Drive, what is the likelihood you would have lost your Bitcoin? Right. Um, uh, probably much lower. I, I'm not saying don't do that. You should do that. <laughs> this is not advice from Alex. I'm not saying that's what, what you should do, but it's like an interesting thing to think about, right? Yeah, but there's like lesser ones you can do. Like you can have a seed plate yes. and leave it yes. under your bed. Yes. Or, I'm a seed plate fan. Yeah. I'm a seed plate fan. Yes. Yeah. I'm a seed. Well, I, I'm kind of a I'm a castle fan in that you don't actually need. They're three or five. You don't actually need to keep your seed. Mm -hmm. You can go seedless with that because, you know, one's on your phone, they've got one, you've got three others, mm -hmm. you can you can rotate them. Um, I do keep one magically hidden away somewhere for one of them, but you can. I'm a little bit more worried on my seeds with my, say, two or three, because it's a slightly different scenario. But, mm -hmm. but yeah, look, there's a range of different things you can do. Yeah. But one of these things happened, you know, at Prime Trust. Yeah. And... And, and so, so, yeah, doing it yourself, right? But then also at, at, a, at an institutional level, institutions at a whole nother level of complexity and this requirement for institutional permanence, like with, with you, it's one-to-one. -one. It's always you. No matter what you yeah. do in your life, you're that guy responsible for that custody. Institutions aren't people. It's, a, it's, a, it's an entity. People come and go, right? And you do, if you don't have the right sort of structures built into the institution to do key management properly, you know, it's really easy to mess up. It's really easy for these things to happen. This show is brought to you by our lead sponsor, Iris Energy. Now, Iris Energy is the largest NASDAQ-listed Bitcoin miner using 100% renewable energy. And their strategy is to target markets with low-cost, excess renewable energy. And they build their own highly efficient Bitcoin data centers and are led by a seasoned management team with a track record of success across renewables, infrastructure, and digital assets. 
Danny and I met with the team in Canada and were super impressed with their values, which align with us, so they are a great fit for what Bitcoin did. We have now been working with Iris Energy for a number of months across the podcast, films and events, and they're even sponsoring my football team, Raoul Bedford. It's been really great to work with such a forward-thinking and sustainable Bitcoin company. So if you want to find out more about them, please head over to irisenergy.co, which is I-R-I-S-E-N-E-R-G-Y.co. Next up today, we have Ledin. Now from savings accounts to personal loans and even mortgages, Ledin's financial services enable Bitcoiners to experience the benefits of holding today without selling their Bitcoin. Ledin have a robust risk management strategy and always prioritize safeguarding clients' assets with no DeFi yield farming. And Ledin only supports Bitcoin and USDC, two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. They are also dedicated to transparency and are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserves attestation, which they re-verify every six months. Ledin also have a brand new product, Prime Loans, that allows private wealth clients to lend assets on their terms, and by locking in for a fixed term, they can earn even more interest. Ledin has a team of seasoned experts ready to work with you through the entire process to ensure your assets generates yield while protecting your principal. If you want to find out more, please head over to ledin.io, which is L-E-D-N dot I-O. Also, today we have Ledger. Now, Ledger is the world leader in Bitcoin security and is the best way to own and secure your private keys. If you're still holding Bitcoin on an exchange or with a custodian, it might be time to take your security more seriously. Because remember, not your keys, not your Bitcoin. The Ledger suite of hardware wallets paired with the Ledger Live app are the easiest and safest way to start managing your own private keys. You can send and sign your Bitcoin transactions with full transparency in the Ledger Live app, and honestly, it couldn't be easier. I have been a Ledger customer since 2017, and I absolutely love their products. Now, if you want to find out more or purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, then please head over to shop.ledger.com, which is S-H-O-P dot dot com. Well, how do you guys then worry about that? Do you partition that code and have to constantly retest if you've played with it or update things? And do you lose sleep over this? And all, all good questions. So um, I don't lose sleep over it because we have built the company to do this and do it really well. Um, it's sort of in the DNA of how we've built the company. Um, we don't sort of ever get complacent, right? We're always thinking about how can we level up our custody, but sort of, I guess maybe in contrast to sort of the prime trust model, which we didn't go with as a, as a, as a startup, we didn't, we decided we didn't want to outsource our custody and, um, so, you know, specifically our custody uh, to somebody else because um, not your keys, not your coins. Um, so we went through the hard work of getting all the licenses we needed to be able to hold people's Bitcoin and transmit it for them. And these are from day one, from day one. Um, we didn't start in the United States. You have to do this in every different state. So there were actually a number of states where we didn't need one from, excuse me, from day one. So we were able to launch in a number of states without these. And then we went state by state and got licenses. And that took about two years. Um, and it's a lot of work. It's a lot of expense, has a lot of complexity, but it forces you to get mature really quick. And, um, and so, uh, because I knew that all that would, like, I couldn't sleep at night knowing that some guy at some other company could mess up and my business is over. Yeah. Right. Which is, which, which has happened multiple times in our industry. Yes. Yes. And, And like, I'm just an adversarial thinker. I'm like, I can't like, I, I need to build my company such that like another company can't take me down. Right. Yeah. And I think about that constantly. I'm constantly running through scenarios. I'm constantly thinking about how can we build this, like that adversary thinking into our planning processes at river and to like how, how we all operate because it's non-trivial to think about, right. There's fiat, there's the banking banking system, there's, um, software vendors, et cetera. But, um, the, yeah, so so we did things, you know, the the hard way, um, and because of that, you know, we sleep better at night, uh, and we 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 have our own custody uh, system, so we know that all the coins are there. I guess um, you have to think about multiple attack vectors, though, because it's there are bugs mm-hmm. in the code that could cause an issue. Yes, there could be a uh, erroneous developer who injects a bit of code. Mm-hmm. They could. But you get around that with the work being checked, but then you could have collusion amongst developers mm-hmm. to rug 
that's a lot of scenarios to think about. There's a lot. There's a lot. And and by the way, those scenarios don't disappear if you build on a on a on a custodian as a service, right? If your app wrapper has is just making API calls to the custodian to do things, yeah. right? You could still introduce vulnerabilities there. So like you can never actually escape this stuff. But for us, we have um, you know, my I'm try I try to max complexity is the enemy. Yeah. Um, complexity is the root of all evil in this industry. And so we got Vitalik. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and so I'm sort of like maximal complexity reduction. Uh, and so we, we've built the company like that. We only do Bitcoin, right? It's not obvious why that's a good business decision. It wasn't to most people when we started. It's becoming more obvious now, right? Uh, because complexity doesn't just exist in your technical systems. It's legal, right? Adding like dealing with multiple potential securities is a legal DOS I don't have to worry about right now. And most of my competitors do. Um, uh, um, custodying Bitcoin, like we can just do native multi-sig, right? I don't need to worry about a much more complex multi-coin custody system uh, that doesn't have some of those like protocol level guarantees for all, all of the assets that would custody. So, um, and then when it comes to custodying the Bitcoin, again, like, uh, equally weighting the risks of theft and loss of like loss of access. Um, that's what I think a lot of people miss. And uh, so for example, we have a few, like I have a few rules uh, when we do our cu custody systems and designs that um, maybe are a little heretical in Bitcoin, but one is, you know, we never, we never send money to an address we haven't spent from. Um, that is like, I will die on that hill um, that is something that a lot of people disagree with me on. Um, but that is the only way to know 100% that you have the key for the address that you're sending the Bitcoin to. And so like when it comes to the big chunk of Bitcoin, like single address. Um, and, uh, because, um, what if the BIP32 derivation like had a bug, right? Did you run like, did you run multiple versions of that library and compare the results? Did a cosmic ray hit a transistor? Uh, while that computation was happening. A what, what? <laughs> a cosmic ray. Like, like lots of people don't think about these things. Like computers are, uh, computers are um, machines. Machines have issues, right? Um, uh, one, of the, one of the failure modes that a lot of people don't realize, and it's, it's very rare, but when you're dealing with big amounts of money, very rare matters. Yeah. And so, um, and this is something that I saw Greg Maxwell talking about at a meetup once, which is like, you know, you, you could have a, you could, you could run a program in your computer and you know, you know, a cosmic ray, like a, a, you know, a cosmic ray, like an electromagnetic sort of like an X-ray or gamma ray, can can hit a transistor and cause it to flip from a zero to a one. If that happens at the right time, that can cause a, a sort of an error. That, that can cause an error in a result. How um, do you predict protect against that? You run it twice, but the way to run really protect protect against it is to make sure that you're do, like the result you want is like completed end to end, um, like you have to come up with a way to prove, like to prove that the result is correct. And so in Bitcoin, if you der derive an address and yeah, there's checksums on the address that can pr protect against cer like certain things there, but, um, there are parts of the computation where like the checksum won't help you. Um, so the, so, but if you, if you can sign for the address, right, mm -hmm. if you can spend from the address, you now know with 100% certainty, like you have that key. Um, and so these are all these like little niche things, right. That like you, like custody is hard. And so just like, this is why I'm like, I, it's things like this are the reason, like I keep it very, very simple. One of the things I've never understood about exchanges, you might not be able to answer this cause it might be a security thing, but, uh, I'm assuming you operate with hot and, hot and cold wallets. Yes. Uh, and when you need to uh, deposit from the cold wallet into the hot wallet, like when I'm sending, say, some Bitcoin to Danny, he gives me an address. Mm -hmm. You know, I paste it in, and then I check in the first four, and then I'm checking the last four, and I'm sending. And by the way, I, I have sent hundreds, if not thousands, of Bitcoin transactions, and copy and paste has worked every single time without mm -hmm. fail. But I always check. Mm -hmm. Does, is it the same in a big exchange? Are you copy and paste the addresses and check it, or is there like different systems you use when you're at that level? Um, you have very robust. No, you have different systems. Okay. Um, so, 
um, you know, I can give you some insight in how sausage is made here. Mm. So, you know, you have cold, you have hot, and then you have counterparties as well that you're moving Bitcoin with, like your like OTC desks and stuff that you're you're trading with. Um, you have systems in place such that um, there are controls, um, often at an application level, to um, where people can send Bitcoin. Right. So, for example, like the way a lot of people operate is Bitcoin can only move from cold to this one address. Right. And that's like a hot or like a more of like a maybe a warm or like a staging wallet. And then then there's like some, you know, application controls. Then to move it from there, you know, three people out of this group need to sign off on, you know, that transaction. And then, um, you know, you have like whitelisted addresses like this is OTC desk one, this is OTC, OTC desk two. And so you can sort of relax some of the approval controls there um, because you, um, you know, like the worst case is like it gets sent to a truck, like another regulated financial institution, right? Um, and then the real sort of like danger, right, is the the, the proper hot wallet where like, you know, it, Bitcoin could get sent to like any address for that your users are withdrawing to. And there, um, you know, you do things like you have rate limits, right? And so like if, and you only keep a certain amount there. So you like move funds from like the staging wallet to like the hot wallet to t- keep it topped up. And, um, you know, if, if you hit a certain rate limit, you have people start to like manually approve things and take a look and make sure everything's still okay. So you have lots of these controls. And, and these controls you've built up yourself or these industry standards that people have adopted? Um, I don't think there's just like one standard. Right. I think that's very heterogeneous. I think a lot of people end up converging on something like this. Right. Okay. I think just before we move on to River, we should go back to Prime Trust just for a minute because I feel like we're giving, oh, them, I'm not, e- I'm we're giving them an easy pass. I'm not done, <laughs> on, okay, okay. I'm not done on Prime Trust. Don't worry. I'm definitely coming back to Prime Trust. Um, okay. Uh, that's a good point to go back to Prime Trust. Uh, do we know how much Bitcoin they lost? I don't think we know how much Bitcoin they lost. I think we know they lost, some, I think, was it 80 million in assets? Do we know what they had to management? I don't know. Um, I don't. I Can also don't know what the that? breakdown of the assets were. My my understanding is it might not be that much big. There might not have been that much Bitcoin in there. Um, I don't know for sure. What I've heard is that they have almost all the Bitcoin. In fact, I think they have more Bitcoin than they needed to, but they've lost a lot of the like fiat tether value. Oh, okay, uh, they're meant to be holding. Interesting. Um, I'll try and pull up some numbers. Interesting. But so, and and getting back to that, so they'd lost obviously a lot of Bitcoin and then I believe they used customer funds, like the customer tether value to buy Bitcoin, which is yeah. potentially fraud. Yeah. That's where they potentially, okay. So, that, so then that gets interesting. So, you know, if they use someone else's, another customer's funds to buy Bitcoin and then people withdrew the Bitcoin from Prime Trust, will a judge say that, Needs to be clawbacks. There's clawbacks, or like I don't know how this goes down. Um, it'll be really dependent on how the judge handles things. Well, it always tends to take a, a lot of time, and a lot of money gets swallowed up by lawyers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, time can be a killer of a business as well if you need those assets. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Any, I don't know which companies have been affected, but I do remember the rumors coming out and companies saying they've got out, but. Um, I mean, it's catastrophic for some companies to do this or individuals have to cover the funds. Yeah. Um, And getting out is like, I think what we're seeing with like FTX and Celsius and these others is like, well, you don't really know you're out until the judge says, you know, there's no clawbacks, right? Like, so that could be like, Multiple years. I mean, they ha- they have everyone's KYC information, so they know <laughs> they they know who got the Bitcoin out. You know when you know. Now again, I I have no indication that this would happen. Like it's um I don't know. It's like a nuance of bankruptcy law. Like there's not real precedent for this kind of thing. So um, we'll see. A prime trust done. It's yet to be seen. I think so. Nevada was like the last place they had a license, and they've revoked the license, so they can't trade at the moment. I wouldn't have thought anyone would trust them anyway. Yeah. Yeah. After 10, just change the name to Prime. (laughs) Well, yeah, now there's this sort of, the founder of Prime Trust started another company called Fortress Trust. Um, And so it's kind of the same playbook, but I think this time they probably don't mess up the key management. So in some ways, well, 
not in some ways, what you've done with River is you've taken a low time preference in terms of building the business to build it right, yes. to structure it right, to protect your business. The cost of that is the cost of doing business. Yes. Um, scaling, speed. You've essentially, you've almost taken that sailor approach where he talks about building things for decades yes. rather than quickly because there's so much inherent risk. Yes. How, how, what, yeah, what have been the kind of pros and cons for you for that? The, yeah, the, the cons have been dealing with, um, well, the pros have been sleeping at night, right? <laughs> um, or at least just dealing with a different type of problem than um, worrying about my custodian. Uh, and the, but, you know, the cons, have, the, the cons have just been like all the extra overhead that comes with that. There's a, now there's pros to that. I mean, it does force you to just mature very quickly as an org, right? If you're getting licensed in all these states, like you're not, you can't operate just like a normal startup. You have to get professional really fast, right? Um, like from day one, we've had full financial audits every single year. Um, it's painful. Like if everyone's, any, I don't know who's like, any, so people listening who have been through a financial audit understands like how painful it is. Um, uh, but it forces us to have our act together. Right. And it forces us to have our systems, our accounting, our books, like, you know, like tight to the T, like very early, all these controls, all this stuff that would be like only a big company would have. You'd kind of just have to get in place early on. So the downside is having to do all of that. But the upside is like, well, we need to be doing that anyways. So um, it's expensive. It slows things down. Like here's and, and I think people say that a lot. Here's like a tangible example of how like the complexity it adds. Somebody's like, um, you know what? Like, I want this service of yours, but I want to pay you in Bitcoin, right? Well, we're a Bitcoin company. We should be able to accept payment in Bitcoin. Well, like a, t- a typical startup could like just easily, yeah, just like send us Bitcoin. You're good. No, um, we need to make sure that that actually, that financial transaction, we, are, we know how to classify that in a gap accounting way. And it's like properly documented, like, like, that the Bitcoin was accepted and like w- when it was converted and how are we recognizing this revenue? What if the, like the Bitcoin price changes? What if, like, how do we explain to auditors sort of like the nature of this transaction and like this entry on the GL? Um, it, it like, there's just like all this downstream complexity. You have to worry about this like single event like creating, right? And, and that could lead to, you know, 20 to 40 hours of work for people right? Just dealing this one new, this one exception to things, this one new thing. And uh, that's like just a little example about sort of the type of complexity and expense this stuff adds to businesses. There's a tax implication on that as well. I was talking to Danny about this the other day. Um, I don't know if it's the same in the US, but our turnover and profit, any Bitcoin we receive, that is priced as in pounds at the day we receive it. If the Bitcoin we hold drops in value, that doesn't change our turnover. Mm-hmm. So say we were only paid in Bitcoin and we received a million pound in Bitcoin. On our books, in our P&L, that says we received a million pound. Mm-hmm. Not a million pound of Bitcoin, yes. a million pounds. If the price of Bitcoin drops 50%, that entry still says a million pound. And so if, say, we made 500,000 pound profit, we would have to pay tax on 500,000 pound profit, even though the Bitcoin we hold is worth less than that. Mm -hmm. Now we get a credit on capital gains the following year if the Bitcoin goes up in value, but there can be a tax implication. And now I wasn't aware of this at Mm -hmm. the time. I didn't think we were receiving a million pound. I thought we were receiving Bitcoin. And at the end of the year, we value that and pay tax on that. That's not true. So it's just being a Bitcoin only business is actually very difficult with volatility. Yes. So we have to now, whether it's the football club or whether it's the podcast, we have to consider that risk. And it's annoying because like sometimes you get paid in Bitcoin, you want to hold it. Like the football club, the Bitcoin it held from when we launched it is down in value. Mm -hmm. Still got to pay tax on that. Mm -hmm. Yep. And add add a gap financial audit on top of that where you have to deal with a third-party audit firm who's putting their reputation on the line to sign off on your books. And that whole world is fiat. Everything is in dollars. It doesn't. They don't care that you have Bitcoin that you think in Bitcoin. They don't care. Like that doesn't matter. The law doesn't care about that, right? Like the dollar numbers have to be right. And so, um, yeah. Uh, so, but I wouldn't do it any other way. Of course. With that though, you've built 
very robust business, right? Yes, yes. I know it's your firm, but the way I look at River, I consider you the strongest Bitcoin on-ramp, the most uh, well-established, long-term Bitcoin company. And I'm not just saying that because you're here. We've had these conversations. That's how I look at River. But then I also, just to be fair, I look at River and go, I don't hear a lot from River. Mm -hmm. You're not out there marketing all the time. And I think that potentially is because you have been doing that hard work. Has that been a tough thing to explain to investors? Um, not really. Well, because we've actually had great growth. I mean, the last four months we've hit, we've hit all-time high record monthly transacting users right. month to month. But that said, we probably haven't... The, the lack of marketing was, um, you know, I would say is predom was predominantly because of who I am, right? I'm an engineer, I'm a builder. Like the, the first phase of River was me, it was my team building it. And I'm also honestly just learning how to run a company. Mm. And, you know, this is my first startup, um, getting smart as a founder and a CEO. And um, we had nice organic growth in the beginning. So marketing wasn't this thing like we were sort of desperately in need of. But um, one of my biggest learnings as a founder was, and, and one of my biggest weaknesses early on was just not, oh, I'm not a marketer. I didn't know how to market something. And so that's something I had to get smart about. We've since built a really strong marketing team in the last year and it's been paying dividends. And so you're going to see that change more and more. Hmm. Um, but it, but it, it felt like you were doing the hard work up front to build the right company first. Yes. You know, no shit coins. Yes. Bitcoin focused. No stupid products. Now everything I understand about how you've built the back end in terms of, you know, you controlling the stack rather than outsourcing it, it sounds like you've built for the long term. Yes. This company is being built, like, you know, we're building a cathedral, you know, brick by brick. And so, you know, I didn't, we didn't feel this need to like, you know, yell it from the rooftops early on. Like we needed to figure things out, right? We had a lot we had to do to get it all right. And, um, we're just now getting to the point where we're like, you know what, we can ramp this up. And it took us four and a half years to get there. You've had FTX marketing for you. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We had a lot of these guys marketing for us. I mean, it's kind of funny, like our ranking in the market has gone up because basically a lot of top guys just blew up. <laughs> and so, yeah. Yeah, you, I've also noticed you've expanded your services a lot. You've offered the mining, which, mm -hmm. Surprised me at first. Mm -hmm. I was like, "Wow, where does this come from?" Uh, but you offer the um, like the uh, professional services. Uh, what do you Lightning call Lightning payments? Uh, no, no, the um, like private client. Private client. Mm -hmm. You offer that service. Um, you offer the business services. I've, I've seen all that coming and been part of it. But you haven't gone into the loans market. No, we never will. Oh, you never will. Not even in a way like Unchained have done it. Where no. No. Okay. Um, I don't like lending. Okay. Um, I say, okay, I don't like to be absolute. I don't like to say never because life changes, markets change. There's opportunities that come up. I learn new things. I learn there's opportunities that are within our risk toler tolerances. Um, um, I have a hard rule. We only build things that allow us to sleep at night. I don't like lending. I just fundamentally like don't like it. I just doesn't make me feel good. It feels weird. It feels like leverage. It adds a bunch of risk. It's like very, it like opens us up to all these like fiat things that we're not, I'm not like we're not a finance company at our core. Like we're builders, we're engineers, we're product people. River is going to like our, our growth and our expansion and our product suite is going to be focused on building really, really good software. Okay. Not building really good financial um, kind of sort financialized sorts of things. This show is brought to you by Unchained. Now, the events and exchanges and in traditional banks over the last year were all an important reminder of how critical it is for you to take control of your private keys. But taking ownership of your Bitcoin keys, you know what? It can be daunting. That's why our good friends at Unchained offer a personalized concierge onboarding service. Now, I have personally been through this process and set up the vaults for my football team, Real Bedford. And you know what? I know this is a personal recommendation here, but the multi-sig solution which Unchained have created is so easy to use. They ship the required devices to you and they walk you through it step by step so you can understand exactly how the vaults work. Now, after you set up, Unchained continues to provide you with regular support to help you get comfortable with controlling your keys. So if you've been putting off taking control of your Bitcoin wealth, 
Unchanged Concierge Onboarding is a simple way for you to get started. Get it done sooner rather than later. You can book your onboarding today at unchained.com forward slash what Bitcoin did. And at the checkout, you can get $50 off with the promo code what Bitcoin did. That is unchained.com, U-N-C-H-A-I-N-E-D.com forward slash what Bitcoin did. Next up, it is Wasabi, who I am using to keep my Bitcoin private. Now, Wasabi is the easiest way to send and receive Bitcoin privately. And even for non-technical people like me, it is effortless and provides privacy by default. Now, with Wasabi, there is no minimum amount, so you can start coin joining straight away. And Wasabi makes coin join transactions together with BTC Pay and Trezor users, and BTC Pay server users can make payments in coin join, which saves on fees and is a privacy improvement. Also, Wasabi just dropped a badass new feature. Now, Trezor Suite users can coin join directly on the hardware wallet which obviously is very cool. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to wasabiwallet.io, which is W-A-S-A-B-I-W-A-L-L-E-T dot I-O. Also, today we have BitCasino. Now, BitCasino was established in 2013 and is the world's first licensed Bitcoin casino. It is trusted by tens of thousands of players worldwide. And not only do they have cutting-edge security, but they offer fast withdrawals and VOP experiences that money can't buy. BitCasino has over 2,800 games and tournaments for you to try out. And with their 24-7 live chat support, you can always get help if you need. Now, if you want to find out more about BitCasino, the first Bitcoin casino to win an EGR award, head over to bitcasino.io, which is B-I-T-C-A-S-I-N-O dot I-O. And please remember to gamble responsibly. In terms of self-custody, again, you might not be able to tell me this, but I'd be interested to know, as a company that pushes self-custody and is a big advocate of self-custody, what percentage of people actually still do it? I'd say it's it's growing. So we just launched an, the auto-withdrawal feature to try and get more people to self-custody. Um, so you know, one of the one of our popular features is we have zero fee dollar cost averaging. So we do DCA for free and then you can auto withdraw your those Bitcoin. And that's like our I describe that as our Costco hot dog, right? <laughs> we don't make any money on it, but it gets people in the door and um, maybe they, you know, do like one time or buys and you know we cross all them things over time. Um, but I'd say it's about twenty to twenty five percent self custody. Um, so the vast majority don't. And the reason is the vast majority of people Kind of know that someone else, that like we can probably do it better than they can. Um, it's not that they can't do it well. It's just that it, it's it's economic specialization of you know you know expertise, right? They they, they want to outsource that trust to a firm that specializes in it, and I don't blame them for that. Um, it's a lot of work to get it right yourself. Um, I and the thing is like. It, we have no incentives to hold on to people's Bitcoin. Like we don't get yeah. paid for it. Yeah, um, it's a free service we offer. So if somebody withdraws their Bitcoin, it's great for us. Please it's, withdraw all please your withdraw. Bitcoin. Like, I don't yeah. want to hold your Bitcoin. Yeah. we do it because that, like, if we didn't, people wouldn't use our service. Yeah, yeah. That auto withdrawal, that DCA. Say if somebody is doing twenty five dollars a week or something. Um, that's a lot of UTXOs for that person to be putting into cold storage. I saw Marty Bent tweet about this this week. He's talking about fat UTXOs in cold storage. Um, do you think about that at all? Because I hadn't considered that until I saw Marty's tweet. And I was like, huh, that's a great point. Yeah, we actually thought about that in the design of this product. So right. the way it works isn't your DCA hits and then you withdraw that amount. The, the auto withdraw is sort of a is sort of a separate thing in your account, and you set a um, a minimum threshold that you want the auto withdraw to trigger. So we encourage people to set that to something sort of reason like higher, so that they're not getting all these small UTXOs. Yeah, good. So in terms of what's coming up then for River, because you've done all this work now, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of your competitors have gone fucked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what's now? What's going to come? Yeah, so there's there's really two sides to how we think about building. There's the um, excuse my French like not fucking up <laughs> side, which is work, right? So we have specific projects that are make everything keep everything safe, keep making it safer, like keep reducing the risks of anything bad happening. That's like a lot of work just for that, right? Just to contain entropy, right, at a business. Um, and then uh, and then on the sort of new things side. Um, 
there's three verticals that we're going to be operating in over the years to come. And we're just going to be building in these verticals. It's serving consumers on the personal side, serving businesses. Um, uh, and like I, I want to see um, SMBs and other like, like operating companies using Bitcoin more and more and payments infrastructure. So the, our lightning um our Lightning and Bitcoin infrastructure as a service business. And those are the three verticals that we're going to be building in with the vision of accelerating Bitcoin's adoption as a store of value and a medium of exchange through these best-in-class software products. Talk to me about the Lightning business services. So um, that that vertical came about sort of um, in, in an interesting way. So when we, when we launched River, because we were Bitcoin only, we were like, well, you know what? We have the time to like ship Lightning Network support in 2019 when we launched River. And so we were the first Bitcoin exchange in the United States to have Lightning Network support. So since then, we had built up this Lightning Network infrastructure that started getting pretty big and beefy and you know, high, high quality. And um, eventually, we started seeing an opportunity to sell this as a separate service offering. Just And sort of the need we saw was, more and more apps wanted to add Lightning Network support to their custodial wallets, but they didn't want to build all this stuff themselves. Mm-hmm. So we were like, well, we should just build an API for this. And so we did. And since then, we've onboarded some really cool customers. Some, excuse me, some we haven't announced yet that hopefully we can announce soon, which I think will be pretty exciting. And um, But some we have announced. So for example, like we're the Lightning Network backend for Chivo, for El Salvador's wallet. And um, so our our focus right now is going to all these custodial wallets and exchanges all over the world and saying, look, I know Lightning isn't huge right now. Like I know, you know, adding another token will make you more money, but like this is a plug and play solution, right? Um, And it's actually sort of, we're seeing a lot of adoption here because what's happening is as the market's kind of gone flat and sort of the long tail of asset trading volumes have dried up, these regional crypto exchanges are going, well, we actually want to be like real financial institute. Like we want to process real economic transactions for our customers. We want to improve our wallet services. We want people like transacting through us. So, um, uh, so now they're going, you know what, like lightning could be huge here. Right. And we're seeing more and more people want to get involved in remittance flows. Mm -hmm. Um, there's an interesting sort of macro dynamic, which is all of these regional crypto exchanges have built best in class fiat delivery to their like regions and they have crypto bridges. Right. And so there's like, so I see lightning as like connecting, like the, as being sort of like the final sort of like ultimate connector of all these um, exchanges that have been built all over the world. Um, and so now value can seamlessly transition between all of these companies instantly. Um, and I think that'll unlock a lot of interesting use cases. So we're basically coming in saying, um, you know, to, to exchanges in Europe and Asia and South America and be like, you want to add lightning? Plug and play. This is easy to use a Stripe, um, and it just works. What do you think about the state of where we're at with Lightning? We're obviously, we're in Nashville for the Lightning Conference at Bitcoin Park. Um, there were some criticisms pointed at Lightning Network after all the ordinal bullshit. Mm-hmm. Like it exposed, we had Matt Corrello on, he said it exposed some weaknesses in Lightning. Then we've seen other layer twos. Uh, uh, Arc has been. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, come on the radar recently. You're a techie. I'm not a techie. Where, where are we at in terms of Lightning and other L2s? And where are you thinking with regards to these? Yeah. So um, the way I think about um, Bitcoin is there will always be innovation, especially above the base layer, right? I I love all the L2 innovation happening, and I want to, and I will invest in that a river in our business as we see progress there. But Lightning today is by far and away like the mature and developed L2, the, the, you cannot compare an idea someone wrote down in a blog post um, to a production, like a protocol running in production that's been hardened over years, right? Uh, the devil is always in the details when you go to implement these things and build them at scale. Arc is a really cool idea. Um, but to compare it to Lightning is like comparing a theoretical new internet protocol to TCP IP, right? It's like, <laughs> it works better on paper, but like, it's not real. It's so yeah. like, you know, like there's there's real world like um, stickiness to protocols and Lightning has that. So um, 
does, is lightning perfect? Absolutely not. You know, the, the worst thing about lightning and the thing that no one's really figured out how to truly get around is this whole like channel capacity challenge and problem, the liquidity problem. Um, it doesn't feel like you should have to do that, but you do today. And there's ways to like smooth it out and optimize it, but um, uh, it's not perfect. But, you know, when you can't, you can't strive for perfect. You have to go one step at a time. And I think yeah. lightning has a long life ahead of it. All right. Well, listen, uh, I think what you built is brilliant. I, I'm just trying to, I was just remembering that. I think we met before you launched at a dinner. So. There was a dinner in San Francisco. That's right. There's about 20 of us. I'm pretty sure that's the first time we met. I think Liz, Liz Starks was there. Yeah. Yeah. She's mm-hmm. been a, she's yeah. a good friend. Yes. Was she an advisor? Yes. Each an advisor? Yeah. yeah. I, I remember that dinner now. It was with those instrumental in, start, in, in River. She's yeah. given me some of the best business advice I've, I've ever gotten in my life. Yeah. She's amazing. Uh, I think that's where we first met. And it's been great to see you build this business up. Uh, where do you want to send people? Can I ask a question oh, quickly before ooh. we get there? Uh, so I was, I just thought I was speaking to someone at Bitcoin Park he, the day before yesterday, uh, and he was explaining how in like traditional finance world, there's a sort of separation between uh, brokerage and custodianship. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the broker is not allowed to custody assets in, I don't know if it's in every circumstance. Do you think, and he was worried that that's going to, or not necessarily worried, but he was thinking that may come to Bitcoin. Do you think that's likely? It's unclear. I mean, there's a lot of nuance in the law. A lot of those rules are for securities. Right. So it, it's possible those that comes to secure, like if these tokens are classified as securities, it applies to that, but not yeah. Bitcoin. Um, it's really, uh, you know, it, it's not a legal, like that sort of like rule set isn't, um, is built for like financial institutions that are offering like lots of assets to be traded to make sure they're not also trading with their customers' funds. Right. So then like, the, the, like rules like that make sense for a certain class of firms. Like, for example, you don't want Fidelity to be able to like sell you Apple shares and then like those Apple shares in your account, but they're also like trading those Apple shares and market making with them, right? Like you, you want like that, that to be separated. With Bitcoin, it, it's kind of different because you just take it out whenever you want, right? Like you can prove to your customers like the assets are there. Um, so I don't know like what sort of, the, the legislature, legislators or the regulators will decide on what needs to happen. I think it's really overkill for Bitcoin brokerage. Mm-hmm. But if those rules do apply, we can handle that because we can, we have sort of the legal expertise to spin up sort of like a, you know, like qualified custody sort of entity. That just a new entity that takes the custody. It. Yeah. Yeah. My, my concern about sort of like this happening is um, I, innovation for custodial like Bitcoin will just stall out. Right, because like a lot of these qualified custodians, their job is to be like checklist legal guardians. So they're not thinking, well, how do we how do we add lightning? Right. If you think about it, if your Bitcoin has to be custodied here, that means the wallet functionality that you have, um, it needs to be completely powered by whatever that custodian offers. Right. right. So this could substantially hinder Bitcoin becoming used as a medium of exchange. For example, um, you you can you you could only have like first class sort of medium of exchange wallet tooling if it's self-custodied, which I think would just drastically sort of stall its, you know, uses that in, in the United States. And so that, that's my concern is sort of like these qualified custodians are just slow moving. They're there to just park an asset, not actually use it. Mm. BlackRock. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, BlackRock. Yeah. I mean, the ETF stuff is interesting. Well, look, I'm coming around to the idea that this is a huge advertising campaign for Bitcoin. And yeah. look, if they end up locking up a million and a bunch of people just aren't holding the asset, fine. As long as it does the job of giving us uh, protection, advertising to everyone that Bitcoin's okay. It gets the poor journalism off our back. And yeah, we were with uh, Alex Thorns before you. And, you know, he said, this is what hyper-Bitcoinization looks like. Yeah. So I'm fucking all in. Pump our bags, Larry. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's true. I mean, I don't think it can make the Bitcoin price go down. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, so yeah, go for it. Well, listen, look, uh, we're going to head over to Bitcoin Park with you shortly. But look, congrats on this. It's brilliant. It's like seeing you build this business and you're still around while others aren't and you're still growing. It's amazing. Uh, congratulations. And I can't believe it's taken this long to do this. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Anytime, man. It was a pleasure. Alrighty, what do you think of that one? 
pretty cool, right? I think Alex has built a fantastic business there with River. And it'll be interesting to see how this Prime Trust stuff plays out. But it's just another event, another example that highlights the importance of self-custody or the risks you take using a custodian. So you got any questions about this, you know what to do. You can hit me up. You can catch me on my email. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. I'm going to be here in the UK now until September. And then I'm going to be heading out to Honey Badger in Riga, then on to uh, Sydney. We're going to be there for a week. We've got a live show there. And then I'm going to be heading out to Lebanon. I'm going to be making a film about Bitcoin there as well. It's going to be a busy couple of months. All right. Have a great rest of your week. And I will see you all on Friday.